So welcome to another episode of Israel Tech. I'm excited to have here the founder and CEO of Saitel, Miran Gallis. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Okay, so one of the coolest things or most unique about you is a few things. Is one is that you're 33, you're a cybersecurity founder, you have no co-founders, and you didn't even do any kind of cybersecurity in the military. Correct. So maybe you can kind of take us out. What is so unique about you, your experience, your network, your connections, your interest in tech and, like, and cybersecurity to go ahead and start something when you didn't have that connections, didn't have that natural, or didn't even co-found with anyone? Tell us a little bit of kind of like, what is it unique about Sightail that you were able to build a company on your own being a sole founder, so young, first time founder, and without that actual background? Um, to be honest, I don't think there is anything unique about me. I think it's, um, it's, it's the journey of my life. It's what I did. Um, the curiosity at, at what I've been doing. I was working at Ernst Young. I was working for a while in, in, in the core of the business of what Sightail does today. So I've been experiencing the problems and the pains, and I, and I really understand all of the different angles of, of, of the challenges. And, and I was just you know, thinking about maybe there is a better way to do what I'm doing manually. Um, and that took me to the place we are today at Sightail. Uh, we do security compliance automation uh, for, uh, for Companies globally, uh, we automate security attestation certification like SOC 2, ISO 27001, um, GDPR, PCI, and other other stuff. That I don't know if your audience uh, um, too much involved in this process. Well, the, if, the, if not, they will be by the time we're done. All right, amazing. Uh, happy to share, uh, but just my my work experience and and my uh, education um, supported the uh, the place the next place, the ne next uh, uh, stop in my life, which was the establishment of Cytel. It was three years ago, three, almost, almost three years minus two days ago, we established Cytel. No, oh, okay, awesome, on my yeah. birthday. Um, so, <laughs> maybe, so, you're actually, so your background actually sounds interesting in what you were doing at Ernst Young that you kind of learned. But before we get there, let's actually talk about the technology of maybe kind of Cytel, what you guys are doing and the impact that you're having. So when people talk about compliance, right, um, a lot of people feel that they're being told, okay, the government says you need to be X, Y, and Z, go f make yourself X, Y, and Z compliant. Yeah. Right? And then within that, the question is, so do they, the government, tell you to, you have to work with certain vendors or does the, how does one choose become compliant? Is it just choosing a certain vendor that's already pre-compliant by the government? How does that work as a business model? It's a good question. I think it's, uh, it's not necessarily depend on a regulator, on the state, um, but many cases it's depend on, on your customers, your prospects. They are asking from you uh, while you're trying to make a sale. They are asking or demanding for you to be compliant because they want to reduce the risk that reflecting to them because they're going to use your platform. So it's actually mainly about what's the nature of your business. If you're selling business to business, let's say in the United States or in Europe, then it might become very relevant, not necessarily the regulator, but in other cases like privacy regulations, like the GDPR, um, CCPA, uh, we have the Israeli privacy law, um, and actually there are dozens of different privacy regulations all over the world. Um, so in that case, yeah, this is the law. Companies must abide to the law. Uh, so it's very much depend. Um, usually we work mainly with startups and, and then their incentive to go for compliance coming from their prospect and customers. They want to drive business. Sense, yeah. They want to drive growth. 
They want right. to sell the product. So that's what like, kind of we did when we wanted to, we were speaking to big enterprises in the United States. They would ensure that our security was in check and, and then make sure that we got certain things compliant. And it forces up to become more also. So it's kind of the same thing that actually you're, you're in the free market, your customers force you to become better and do more in a sense, whether it's security or better services as an example. So it's fascinating how they actually, so they, they pulled you to do better. Yeah, they, they, they pull you to do better, but uh, because first of all, because they care about themselves. You know, you creating a new risk for, for, for your customers. Uh, you become one of their vendors. Right. You're going to use some, some of their data. Uh, you're going to have maybe some access to, to different uh, sensitive platform or sensitive applications to use. And then if something happens to their data for you, that's create a different risk for them. They might have some legal commitments or, uh, or laws that they need to be in compliant with. So in order to reduce this risk, it's actually a game of like building trust through compliance. And they want to build trust. They want to see that they can trust you. They might very much be in love with your product. It might be an, an amazing product. But eventually, if they cannot trust you, you know, that's, that's, that's a blocker. And in order to, to move this blocker, companies might be for employee startup, 50 or like or Google, Google size, like a giant tech. Um, any company, like any company at, the, at least at the technology space of any kind will need compliance. And it's not a, a question of if, it's only a question of when. And usually it's start and, and scale in through time. For example, AWS, um, small company, and they have had by 2022, um, 40, it's 74 it's security and privacy certification attestation report, uh, regulation and global standards all over the world. And they need to manage 74 frameworks every single year. So that's insane. Um, for small startups, it might be like one, two, three, four frameworks, but still it's heavy. We find ourselves in a war with Hamas currently. Uh, just trying to get an idea maybe about your background in the army. So you said you weren't doing things that were security related. What were you doing when you were in the army? I was in a ghost unit. It's part of Golani Brigade. Um, I discharged. What was that? Well, What's Ego's unit for people who don't know? Ego's unit is a special unit in the Golani Brigade. Uh, today it's part of the command uh, um, brigade. And uh, I did my service over there for three years. I was a um, guerrilla instructor. I was a combat as part of the um, um, commander of Ego's unit. And after that, I served in the um, duty reserve for 10 years and um, I had some uh, medical issue last year so I started serving in the military but I see it cycle uh, when Hamas when the war started it was total shock over here I think every, everywhere in Israel everyone was total shock uh, like in the same day I asked everyone to, to stay at home and, and walk from home with their families close to a shelter um, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was hectic in the beginning. Uh, it was hectic. Um, people were not very focused in the first couple of weeks. Um, you know, some kind of insecurity feeling that people had. Um, so uh, we need to just stabilize the situation first as a state and see what's going on, and support our friends and, and family that have been called up to the to the duty reserve. And, um, and after two weeks, we start slowly, very slowly, but start getting to some kind of, of I, I can't say normal, 
um, but start working one time a week from the office. Uh, you know, once a week, just see some people, not be all day in front of the TV and watching news and getting depressed, uh, because that's what everyone was doing in the beginning, you know, at least in the first two weeks. I was doing this in the first two weeks. Um, and we got into a state where 25% of Cytel Israel were in duty reserve. Wow. So, yeah, that's... Um, so how does the business operate when 25% of the company suddenly gets pulled into reserves during, yeah. during such a war? How do you operate? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. It's a challenge, but uh, we had to adapt fast and keep the liver. Um, people and, and colleagues need to compensate on the absence of their uh, uh, colleagues. Uh, we had people going into the Navy, into the Gaza, Gaza border, um, different places in Israel, also in Tel Aviv, in the Kiryat. Um, so it was, it was difficult, but we, we tried to find a formula that we can still work, maybe not grow and develop as fast as we planned initially in the beginning of the quarter, the last quarter of 2023. Uh, but I think after two months, we start getting back into business. Um, we, we, the military reduced uh, the people from CITEL that's been in military to 15%. Um, and yeah, we need to compensate. I took both staff to, to do it myself and as like, like me, other people and, and, and leaders and, and colleagues and employing the company, they care, you know, they care. Uh, but we need to be agile. We need to, to let people work from home, um, to support them in any way we can. Uh, we, we took everyone to volunteering. Uh, once a week, I called everyone over here and we did like a, a lunch together to see and discuss and, and share feelings and, um, you know, and hear stories. Uh, we have friends, everyone knows someone or someone that knows someone that got uh, injured or, or got murdered uh, on October 7 and uh, unfortunately afterwards since then. Um, so that was difficult, but, uh, you know, uh, we, we find a way that worked for us. And, um, and in addition to the Israeli site, we have an additional site in, in Johannesburg. Um, so we, we, I kind of balanced the things, balanced R&D and, and product spending in Israel and leadership is in Israel. Uh, but we find a way to balance things. So it did work. And, um, and after a few weeks, we got almost back to no one. And how much, so you really relied on, you shifted a lot of work to Johannesburg, where you, where you have another office. Yeah, but not a lot because very much depend, like maybe some functions of the sales or service might be delivered from, from Johannesburg, but also we have sales team and, and marketing team and, and service team and customer success based here in Israel. Um, also the, the research and development and the product and the HR, all of them based over here in Israel, in Tel Aviv. Um, so. It's, it's very much depend. For example, we have director of operation uh, is now almost three months in, 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 the Gaza, in the Gaza Strip. And, you know, he was doing kind of um, legal, finance, um, supporting HR, doing like multi, multiple things over here, taking care for the office. So I need to take some portion of that. Um, and other people at Cytel, everyone need to take something else and grow ourselves and our ability to, to, support, um, to support the company. Uh, for example, people, the, the, the HR, um, she, she, her manager just left. 
Um, so I'll start working closely with her. Uh, you know, we work close together in order to support our targets. And also I'm keeping a close touch with the people that are right now in duty reserve as much as, as possible. If someone is, is in Gaza, I will try to WhatsApp them and see what's going on. When you're coming back, do you need anything? Um, if someone is in the, we have someone in the Navy, you can speak with them for a week. Yeah, so we answer the phone once a week, you know, right. it's in the middle of the sea. Um, but I, I try mainly try to unite and get some sense in this uh, chaos and arctic moment. Um, all the company went to volunteering uh, um, in, uh, in agriculture. Uh, we put the onion into the, uh, into the soil. So we, we try to find some stuff to do together, to support each other, to stay strong, and, uh, and you know, to, to go through these crazy, crazy times. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think that's, that's, that's about it. Also on social media, I try to share my network right. with what's going on. Um, you know, I, I feeling proud of, of the, the people in Seattle that are right now in duty reserve. Uh, we, we, like, we take care for them as much as we can from, from central Israel. And I try to share um, not only like mainly not mainly for mainly not for Israeli what's going on like see what's going on when it comes for for startups that operate in, in Israel selling globally and they have people regular people that just have been called up and they are not here anymore uh, for 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 some time right. and the company need to to find a way to to go through this. So one of the big things I noticed about Israeli tech is. Um, the conversations I'm having is this insane sense of resilience. Now, in Israeli culture, resilience has always been, right, Herzl and Tertsu Enzo Agadaf. You will, there's no, you'll find a way. Uh, there's a will, there's a way. Um, and that's been in Israeli tech and the ecosystem. It's been in defense and military. And that's always kind of the, 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 the Israeli, one of the, like, the Israeli callings in a sense. Um, so this resilience, how have you been able to bring this kind of resilience from your military experience? And of course, now that you brought it over into Sidetail, when you had 25% of your team, now 15% in reserves that aren't able to really work, how has resilience played a part in your career getting you to getting Sidetail off the ground? Um, you know, it's a, every day and every, every little thing that I do right from the beginning. Um, I think that um, target first, everything that can lead to it afterwards. Um, so we always try to put, put a target and just never give up. You know, it sounds like cliche, but it's just the reality. You know, if you don't find, if you just try in any way you can, in, in any way that makes sense to you. Um, you try to pull on board the, pe the best people you can find to join you to this crazy journey because it's, it ain't going to be easy. It wasn't easy um, and, and it's not going to be easy. Uh, but I use that, um, that there might be very difficult situation, but the thing is to, to know that you want to achieve something. You have some kind of, you have a mission and you make a commitment, first of all, to yourself that you're going to achieve the target that you defined to yourself. And then you need to walk back to do kind of reverse engineering and, and work on every step. And if you have any, any kind of problem, if development is too slow, if you don't hit your, your sales targets, 
if you don't find the relevant uh, recruitment that you want to add for the, uh, for the compliance team. Uh, so every day it just um, lots of big um, issues, challenges and problems and you need to navigate through all of these challenges and, and I'd say mainly listen because if you, if you brought good employees to the company, um, they mo most likely that they're going to have the solution. Uh, you just need to listen, uh, active listening and support them. Um, and they will find a way, like you advise them, you can work together through that. But I always um, try to, to ask questions um, because I believe that the people that we have on board, um, they are intelligent enough and they are care enough to, to, um, to find a way to work it out. Um, so I try to support them as much as I can. So you, you were saying earlier that you first get into compliance, right? Which is what SciTel does it, while working at EY, Ernst Young. Um, how did you get into compliance at EY? You didn't have the security background. How did you get there? Oh, that's a, that's a funny story. Um, I was in the, my third year, I was, I'm a Bachelor of Science, I was studying information systems, um, and I had a friend uh, that he was working at EY for a while. And, it's always uh, the friend. Yeah, it's always a friend, you know, I told him, look, are you looking for a job? I told him I want to become a developer. Uh, like most of my friends, developer will go do something in security. And he told me, look, there is a job, and he didn't really know how to explain what he does. <laughs> Uh, I told him, what do you do? He told me something he called audit. And you know, I'm, a, I'm kind of in a, my, my senior year, I'm Bachelor of Science, like audit, like what are you talking about? He told me, look, uh, essentially what we do, we collect evidence and we take taxis to do audits for diff in different startups in Tel Aviv. And I told him, all right, that uh, sounds um, fantastic. That's right. right. I don't know. Sounds fun when you're young. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <To> take cabs. <laughs> Someone else pays for you to take cabs around the city. Exactly. I can see the city at least, not right. walking around, you know. It's kind of like what I'm doing in Israel Tech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, now we have scooters, so it's yeah. even easier. But uh, back in the days, it was a couple of good years ago. Um, I came to EY. And I met, uh, met my manager. It was a really nice, uh, uh, nice environment, really nice people. Um, I, I passed all the interviews and started my, my career at, at EY. I was starting as a, as a compliance uh, technology risk uh, senior. And I was doing something called SOC reporting, uh, which was something called service organization controls. It's actually an audit that developed from um, the financial sector. Um, there were audits that supported financial audits. Um, based on information systems and somehow that it was evolved to technology controls, which this is what knows today as SOC 2. And SOC 2 is, is the, uh, the certification, it's actually an attestation report, that every startup needs in order to sell in the United States. Just became the, uh, you know, the, the thing that you must have right in the beginning. Um, so I was just in the, the beginning of it, uh, getting to EY. Wait, so, but they didn't care that you had no experience and maybe even no interest in the industry? No, not at all. Um, they, they, they have a good um, system to educate people and you get in, you, you're gaining experience as long as you work more and more and more with, with, on engagements of different, different customers. EY Israel is part of the, it's a hub of EY US. So actually I was on the line 
I had a lot of flights between Israel and the United States. Where New York mostly? Or? Uh, actually in, in the Silicon Valley, in Mountain View, um, LA, New York, Boston. Um, yeah, the, the, these, mainly these places. Um, in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv, there are so many startups in Tel Aviv. Also a few in Netanya. Yep. Um, and I was going to all of these startups doing uh, security consultancy. Um, SOC to audit and, and some other 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 type of consultancy and it, and it's really gave me the experience and the knowledge and the belief that that I can really bring value to customers uh, in the first year I, it, I was all by myself uh, reviewing evidence uh, evidence can be a screenshot there were hundreds of them no one really explained too much um, but you have like uh, all this huge knowledge base of EY um, and after almost three years, I had a, a team of auditors. I, I was managing 100 audits every single year. So I was busy. I was busy. Um, and as I was busy, I also saw my, uh, um, the people that they come to audit. Um, you know, it might be chief technology officers, might be uh, VP R&Ds. And in some cases, in a larger organization, it might be the CISO or Big organization, even bigger, it might be the GRC manager. Um, so different people with different pains, and luckily I got the experience uh, to work with every single one of them. And you know, I, I cleared from first sight that oh no, the auditor is coming, you know, stuff like that. I just want to finish. Where the ball stand? Is it in your court? In my court? People with a mindset that they just want to check the box. They don't really care because they want the certification. Because right. They want to sign the deal. It's like going to school. <laughs> yeah. You take a test and you forget everything the next morning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did you get a kick out of the fact that you were going at UI, that you were going to startups and that like they need to be compliant to you? Was there, is that like, was that an interesting dynamic? Um, you know, Israel is a small it's a small place. Everyone knows everyone. So right. um, you kind of, you, 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 I'm not coming a distance, you know, right. and, uh, not keeping a distance with, with the, uh, um, the colleagues or the people that I've been auditing. Um, I try to be a, a, as nice as possible, but also as professional as possible because I have my own integrity and I'm representing um, an external independent auditor. And eventually, all of the other uh, uh, companies out there trust on the results of the reports and the opinion that I'm going to write. So I, I, I had a lot of responsibility, and I really try to to convince people that look, you already invest in the time, right? You need this. You need this certification. Mm -hmm. So if you invest the time, at least let's try to make it good. Let's try to support the scale of the organization. Let's try to automate as much as possible. Let's try to make you or, or whoever in the company to feel more secure and, and um, confident that things are, are operating effectively like you want them to be. Because maybe today you are 16 employees, but maybe in a, in a year from now you're going to be 600. And we have, a, we have a customer that they actually grew from like 50 to 2,000 in like two years. So insane growth. And this is kind of the mindset that I try to, to bring to people that I work with um, and work together with them. Every organization is unique, you know, and in most, in most cases, um, CTOs, they want to develop the product fast. 
Uh, they want to hire the best people. They want to work on the architecture. They, they need to fix bugs. You know, they think about SOC 2 is something in the side uh, in which like the, the CEO come or sales come and tell them, guys, we need it to, in order to sell. So please finish. Nah. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's the story and it's not their fault. Eh? And then I understand there is a gap because in small startups, they don't have enough resources to bring right. full time. So right. I thought might be a way where we can help them. Yeah, that seems like the big gap for startups is it's hard for them to be in parity when it comes to legal or accounting. It's like tax savings and loopholes or lobbying or, or legal stuff or the compliance. It's much harder for them, far more expensive in, in resources, money and time as a percentage of their budget and of their human resources. Exactly. And be able to do these things. So it's good that uh, companies like Sidetail are able to close that gap. So when you were working at Ernst Young, you were at EY, you were saying like, you, you got into, you came up with the idea uh, for the solution for Sidetail for compliance while at EY, right? So you, okay. So what did you recognize that was wrong or inefficient or too expensive or too long? What, what was the issue that made you, that made you, what, what helped you define a current problem and how did you discover or come to the conclusion that there's a solution that you can bring to market? Um, I think just like a couple of things, to be honest. Um, one of them was everything was so manual. You know, they need to, to take screenshots, hundreds of screenshots. You know, it's not just one or two. It might be hundreds or, or even more. Um, and for a CTO uh, or VPRD or people from the engineering team, from the leadership team that, um, you know, they're, they're expensive and they need to do many things in their time. Um, taking screenshots or, or working on, on, on like redundant audit stuff, tasks, might not be the most effective way to take advantage of their time. It's also demoralizing. Yeah. <laughs> that, oh no, again. Right, not this. Uh, not again. I have reserve duty. Good to come to the Navy. See you next week. <laughs> I'm, go, I'm go to the reserve duty. We'll see what's going to be. But um, I understand that they don't like, look, it's smart people, clever people, but they don't have the time. They don't have the knowledge and also they don't have the will, you know, they don't want to become an expert in compliance. They have what they do, if it might be technology or, or whatsoever in the organization. And they need to understand to some portion, but they don't need to become like right. expert. So understanding that, um, understanding that they need guidance, understanding that majority is manual, understanding that it's, you need to open hundreds of different folders and the redundant work. Sounds and what if everything will be in a central place, you know, a single place, single source of truth for everything. Kind of um, CRM, but for compliance. When you centralize all the things you need in order to, to make a sale. But in that case, to be compliant. Oh, that's, that makes it much easier. Do you think that, I was wondering, because let's say you don't have a security or compliance background before in the why do you, because of the culture of every, you know, um, in America, they say everyone has a podcast here in Israel. I say everyone has a startup. Um, and do you think the fact that we're in a culture that so that rewards or encourages startups, take risks, try new things, break shit, 
etc. Do you think that if, let's say, you were living elsewhere, if you weren't Israeli, whatever, let's say you were in America, uh, if you were in New York, do you, would you think you would have went and started a, a startup? Because you, know, you, you don't have the ecosystem as much or the connections or the fear of failure and the risk and failure is much greater outside of Israel culturally than it is here. I was wondering how much that played a part in, um, do you think that you would have maybe not moved forward if you weren't in Israel? Um, that's a very good question. I was thinking about that, uh, to be honest. I have a, uh, a friend that works in an educational organization in, uh, in Hungary. And I was saying, what's the startup ecosystem over here, like in Eastern Europe? And they told me, I understood that people don't have the mindset um, and the belief in, not necessarily the belief, but the mindset to go for entrepreneurship. Right. Uh, they have a different mindset, might come from a socialist uh, background, and um, they don't really dig. And, well, and Israel also has a strong social, they're the communism, but Israel also had a, a socialist background, and it seems like yeah. tech managed to break from that. Exactly. Which is great. Um, that's, that's a big difference than what I've seen. I, maybe it's changed, and I'm not an expert for Eastern Europe. Right. Uh, maybe it's changed over there, but the, the difference in Israel, people are hungry. You know, they're hungry to try. Right. They, uh, they're not afraid from, from failures. Right. They have a mindset that we're going to learn from failure, and uh, right. it's not going to be the focus of our life, of the big failure. Right. Uh, you know, they were to, um, to kind of break things fast and, and try to move as fast as possible. Um, you know, if in, in might be in, in different places, they want to build, uh, a, you know, let's say uh, they want they have a project, they're going to have the first phase going to be one year to establish the requirement, then another one year to establish the design, then another three years to work on the manufacturing or the coding. In Israel, it's fast, you know, we, you try a minimal thing, you put it over here, you try to, you know, to walk as fast as possible. And I think many of that coming from the military. Right. Uh, we not necessarily always at the time um, right. to, to walk on. Make shit work. Exactly. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. And we're talking about like, what was it that like Israel was like so socialist and it was able to move into a free market that was able to liberate um, the, the economy and the tech industry in particular. Um, and I think someone said, I think I remember someone saying, um, I don't want to say the wrong person, it's a public figure that I think I heard him say in the podcast or in his book, that it wasn't that Israel was socialist, Israel was whatever it took to work. Hmm. And in a sense, like the voluntary socialism as opposed to forced on you from the top down that many other nations have of the kibbutzim, which is voluntary, right, in a sense. Yeah. So uh, it's collectivism, but not forced collectivism that whatever it did, you had no reason, we need to share all the resources, whatever it does, we can work, we can work. You saw that like in the beginning of the war with Hamas, and it was like, whatever you need, you need. People were shipping drones, their personal drones to the military. Take our drones, take our clothes, <laughs> we're gonna take our hunter shirts, you know, our boxers, like whatever it is, just whatever, however it works, it works, you know? And then, you know, giving from wherever the needs are to whoever might need it. And then I think, um, now I think there's like a transition that we understand, um, and I think, a comp I think a component, tell me what your opinion is, a lot of the lean from the former Soviet Union that suffered under communism, like in Eastern Europe, that you know, they just despise communism and socialism and they brought with all the tech expertise, with all of their, let's say, scientific and mathematic expertise, they come here, they're very much wanting to be free market and Western oriented. And I think that kind of was like, hey, this works, let's go after it, regulating it to death. 
like every other, like many other um, legacy industries in Israel, seems yeah. to not be an option in order for success. So if it works, just make it happen. So, you know, you were talking about in the army or in a sense, like we need to make things work by the way they work. And uh, I think this is one of my many hypotheses that are probably wrong. I'm okay to be wrong as it's part of the culture here. Uh, is that like a lot of people, a lot of Jews that moved to Israel after the, uh, from the former Soviet Union, formerly communist countries, and they just had, and they came with science and mathematics and all that, and it brought a lot of strength into the tech industry, but they were strongly anti any kind of socialism, communism, for obvious reasons, they suffered on it tremendously. Um, and uh, so it was kind of like, hey, whatever works, works. And I think kind of coming through the dot-com era, um, we saw like, naturally tech companies in Israel and around the world seem to be the less regulated and had the most space for, okay, fail and maybe get merged and acquire. And I see, so that's like a big component. Uh, so, but you were saying you were, you know, you saw this issue with the compliance and you're working at EY when you were doing it. What made you go from, hey, this is stupid. I have to take thousands of screenshots. Why isn't this automated? Why can't I make this work? To I am going to with, no network, no security background, being at this job not very long, having no connections, no money, and found the company alone, not even with a co-founder. Like, how did you go from, I see a problem, I have an idea to solve it, to actually doing something? Because everyone sees issues all the time, everyone has an idea, right? That's not unusual, okay? And, yeah. But how did you end up executing on it, given that you didn't really have that network, that connection, that background? The money, etc. Look, I think that um, in the beginning, I didn't really think. I, I wasn't really thinking about starting a startup. Uh, I was just thinking about um, enabling, writing my own blog about. I was doing SOC2, so it was SOC2.co.il because <laughs> no one really knows anything about it, you know. So I was just, I was thinking maybe I, will, I, I can help all of these entrepreneurs and startup and CTOs, and I will start publishing content on, on weekends. Um, and then I started working internally at EY. I was trying to, to, to like bring innovation and, and change things inside. But um, EY is a great organization, but you know, things might take time and bureaucracy and so many people and so many different um, opinions and interests and um, it, it might be very challenging. Um, so after a while, I, I got the, the, the under, like I understood I can't make it with any Y. Um, and then you know I was had some some idea uh, in my mind, and I will start posting on LinkedIn stuff regarding SOC too, and stuff regarding IT audit and startups and stuff like that. And after a while, um, someone uh, sent me a message on LinkedIn, um, an investor. And he told me, look, I like the space that you are. Um, I like what you do. Uh, let's talk. And th that was the beginning. Like I had a pitch deck regardless for this, uh, uh, this opportunity because I was thinking, look. There, you there, already had a pitch deck hoping an opportunity would come or after he reached out, you created a pitch deck? No, I started working it even before that on my, for myself. You, so you already decided, hey, I'm going to make a startup. I just don't know how or what. I'm going to keep making content and then let me start. Like yeah, on, on the side while you're in one. Yeah, because I understand I have like a few alternatives. I was thinking maybe I'm going to go out and be a, like an independent consultant. This right. is one option. Maybe I'm going to stay at EY and just grow to become a partner. It's another option. Or maybe I'm going to start a startup. Um, and I, I really wanted that. Um, but, uh, you know, 
I will start working on multiple things. I was creating a deck. I was um, improving the deck. It wasn't good. Actually, it was pretty bad awesome. in the beginning. Can you share it with us? Yeah. Is it cool if we share it publicly? It looked like shit, but... Okay. Uh, <laughs> But uh, no, no problem. You know, uh, I hope that people will see how it looks like and say, all right, I can do it better. That's what I hope for. But that was my initial draft. You know, that was the initial what I had in mind. Like uh, I wasn't an expert in VCs. I didn't know which VCs to, to choose, what's the metrics, what incentivize investors. Um, I didn't really know all of, of the, you know, the ARR, the CAD, the market, like different stuff and termination. I, know, I, I knew nothing about them. Um, I barely knew any uh, accelerators. I barely knew the biggest, the Bessemer and, um, and different huge uh, uh, VCs worldwide. Also in Israel, we have great VCs over there. Uh, didn't know any one of them. Like it wasn't, I, I didn't do any research. You know, I was very focused on, on the problem and the pain. And someone reached me out and he, after we talk, it sounds interesting. And then I had a series of other meetings. Um, and this is how it started. This is how I started Cytel. Um, it was in the so end of 2020. So you didn't even shop around with other VCs? Like, you know, hey, someone's hitting on me. That was it. It was good enough. Yeah, actually, in the first one or two months, I didn't answer. I thought, uh, I don't know, it doesn't feel... It was more LinkedIn spam. Yeah, <laughs> I thought, I don't know what they want from me. And I was thinking, I was suspicious, I was suspicious. Such uh, an Israeli. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I said, what yeah. they, I, I, how can they, uh, I don't know, uh, take advantage of, of me? Like, what they want? They only do SOC too. I didn't right. really know. And after a while... I got to a call, I saw two Israeli guys, very, very nice and clever, and they start speaking with me. They understand the space pretty good. They, tell, they told me that there is an investor, uh, um, that they have a, a very big, comp, big group of multiple companies in the space of compliance. They mainly focus on financial compliance. Uh, for example, they do VAT AT reclaim, tax refund, um, withholding tax. Nice. And I was doing security compliance, you know, that's a nice... It was for them to expand almost, like a site, like yeah. an expansion for them. Expansion, in, in, still in the compliance space, right. but something different, security yeah. compliance. So for, for them, in their portfolio, in, I, I guess that in their mindset, they say, okay, for our portfolio and our focus, it's perfect for what we are looking for. But they didn't really know me at all. I was an, a manager, I was an auditor at EY. I uh, was understanding SOC 2. I was never a, a CEO before. It was my first company. Um, I wasn't at, um, at any uh, technology unit in the military. Um, so there was a high risk for them as well. I think it's important for like Israelis to hear that like you didn't do anything security related in the military. You found this on your own. You're working at EY and you saw a problem. You started writing about it and the opportunity presented itself. So for those that are looking to get into tech in Israel, um, or probably into some smaller extent globally, that no matter where you are, find out where the issue is and just in your industry and what you're doing and just hammer and talk, talk, talk content, write about the problems. Yeah. And then actually someone will come to you and find you. Yeah. I, like, I, I think that because of the content, because of the blog, because of my activity on LinkedIn, other people saw me. I was getting requests on LinkedIn for, uh, to connect, 
to do consultancy work. Actually, one of, of our biggest customers came because they approached me on LinkedIn. Um, and this, uh, this investor in that case and, and uh, many, many other afterwards um, reaching through LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn is a very strong tool, very strong platform. And uh, it worked for me, it worked for many others. Um, you know, you can see this day to day people finding job, investments and cut products whatsoever. And um, this is, uh, I, I think that the fact that I was curious about something that it uh, might, for some other people, might look um, not the most interesting thing, but I just, I, I couldn't believe that I'm doing some, something that I just need to tick the box and everything is like shit and lie and why people pay me so they can show, the, like, then I would feel that what, what I'm doing in life is meaningless, you know? It's dirty. It's that, yeah, I couldn't, I, I couldn't as, as a person, believe that what I'm doing is meaningless. So I was looking for purpose and I was asking why and I was reading, I was speaking people that do SOC to it, the United States and leading the process. And after a while, just, you know, I was inquisitive, I was writing piece of content and, um, and it helped me, it, it leads me to the next phase where it was the opportunity that came with the current, uh, with my investor and my partner. And also afterwards, it helped me when I start inside, I really understand the problems, I understand the pains, I understand, pe I, I knew a few people. And the fact that I had a first degree, I, I was a bachelor of science. I knew a little bit about architecture, about the relationship diagram, uh, about different stuff. So I had a common language with, with the CTO and I could say it clearly what I want them to do, what I think should be the best approach. It changed like a million times afterwards. Of course. But, uh, you know, that was the beginning. So I find actually what's uh, fascinating is like, this investor reached out to you randomly. Uh, I, I mean, it's not random, right? But the way you see it, um, and you were first skeptical, ignored him, and then you showed up and you had some kind of deck that you walked through with him. Tell me about how this relationship matured, someone that you never met, someone that you don't have any established trust other than them consuming your content without you knowing probably for a while. Um, and how does that end up becoming such a huge inv an investment to start Cytel? Um, look, in the beginning, there were many question marks. I didn't really know, but um, I, I believe that this might be a really nice experience, you know, and I thought that it's worth the risk. Um, also for them, they, they took even a bigger risk because in the first year they invested $1 million. Right. Uh, and someone that, uh, again, it didn't came from, uh, from a, a unit A200, it wasn't a technology unit in the military. Um, it's my first startup, big risk for them as well. But their strategy, they believe that someone that really deep dive into the problem and understanding from inside out, um, they might have a different perspective then someone that come in as an outsider might be with a very good background, but still as an outsider. And it, he, 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 he doesn't really know how things work. He, he assumes some stuff, can bring people, but he doesn't really know. So they believed in, in that was their strategy. Um, but, and, the, but they understood compliance, but they didn't understand security compliance. Yeah. They didn't understand. But it was enough for them to throw a million dollars into this and let's see if this person that has no experience and that we have no experience, if this is going to go anywhere, basically. Yeah, exactly that. But, you know, it, it's, it wasn't easy. Where, where were they? Are they Israeli? Uh, Jewish. Uh, from Jewish. the UK and South Africa. 
Okay, you came to South Africa and you just got it. Yeah. Is, is that related to, sorry to go off topic, why you have um, an office in Johannesburg? Is exactly. it related yeah. to that network? Okay, yeah, so. like, uh, you know, I wouldn't get exposed to South Africa without them. Uh, but after I did, I, I'm in love with South Africa. It's really beautiful place. The Jewish community is so nice people. And also uh, very, very good quality people over there. Um, it's in the same time zone as Israel. Right. It's, uh, yeah, I, I love Johannesburg and this is why we have another site over there. Uh, but the first year, it wasn't that just take a million, do whatever you want. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I had some, uh, some targets. I need to, to find a CTO. I need to find, uh, to start uh, working in, on the development of the product and architecture of the product. I need to find uh, design partners or right. customers. Um, I need to recruit uh, engineers and start building a company like legal, finance, and different stuff. Now, but you don't even have a business background either. Yeah, no, I didn't. They like, just basically took a dude with a blog off the street. Yeah, <laughs> I did what I thought. It's it's correct. Yeah. As a marketer, I love that. I always tell you that about content. Just put it out there and put it out there. And and I and I know like there gonna be there are people that are watching our interviews all the time, right? My interviews in Israel Tech. And they're not going to reach out. And eventually might reach out to an opportunity to help someone else or whatever. But that's kind of how it goes. People just always quietly reading your content. Yeah, you like actually I paid some guy like I've, 100 I've, bucks on Fiverr to, to put SEO in my... There you go. Uh, Lovely. Like very beginner website. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I guess uh, it was... I guess it worked. Right. But you, th- that's the thing because you don't have to... You can craft your own course. So... You went, so at what point did you guys discover that, okay, they gave us a million dollars, I'm starting to build this business, that this is going to succeed. They threw more money in. When, how far after that first fund, where were you guys? Was your product ready? I'm assuming you didn't have revenue yet or customers yet, or maybe I'm wrong. Walk me through that time frame of how you spent that first million and that you're able to prove that there's a business here. Yeah, so um, like I want to see if there is a product market fit, uh, first of all. But because before you find a product market fit, you need a, to have a product, right? Or at least a minimum valuable product. Um, so that was kind of my first mission, um, along with hiring great people, great talents. Um, I think that after like six to nine months, uh, we start a- acquiring more and more customers even with a very minimal product because we gave services in addition on top of the product. In the beginning, services was the majority. It was kind of like 100% in the beginning. I was doing the, the advisory myself. And afterwards, you know, I joined someone that uh, uh, I joined the team. Uh, she replaced me in the uh, compliance work and I was moving to the product team. I was actually establishing the product. I was working closely with the CTO. And by the end of the first year, and to be honest, when I started Cytel, I didn't even think about sales. I don't know why, I didn't have, I didn't have in mind sales. I was just focusing on how I'm gonna build the product. Wasn't thinking about making sales. But as, as I start like building the company, um, I start being more um, aware that uh, I want to find customers, I want to find design partners, I want to help people, I want to learn more. And we finished the year with more than, like we had 30 something customers in the first year. Um, So I said, all right, um, there is a product, I I guess there is a product market fit if we have like more than 
30 customers that using the product and the product is, um, is very minimal at that stage. Um, and then I was speaking with my partner and we decided to, all right, let's go strong next year. Now how much revenue did you have at that point? Um, I think $350,000 in Amazing. the first year. Amazing. And when did, how long from the first million dollars in the bank to your first dollar of revenue? Like um, first million dollar in the bank took me like... Um, no, first dollar in the bank, your first revenue. Mm, from the first point, dollar in the bank. From, from the time they gave you the investment until the time you got your first revenue. The revenue for my investor, revenue for my customer. For your customer. Um, all right, so it's a funny story because in the beginning I opened the company, but I, it, it was taking ages to get in a, like a bank account. So when I was signing contracts, I was saying 100% of the payment is going to come in the end of the project. Um, so I was delaying the payment because I didn't have any bank account to collect right. the money. You know, uh, and after a while, after I got the, the like uh, after I received uh, the bank account, I changed it. In the beginning, in the first 11 months, it was based on milestones, uh, the payment method. And after 11 months, we changed the policy to become a subscription. And on, on top of that, we we sell in additional uh, features and services. Amazing. So I think first dollar in the bank was after like six or eight months, something like that. Wow. And we, did you reach out to people that you were, that you did compliance for while you were at EY? To be like honest. Like you went to a startup, EY, you went there once, twice, well, do compliance. And then like, hey buddy, I got my own startup now. I did it I don't only have, you with don't have like to take all those screenshots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I tried with three or four. Not too much actually, because I also got requests on uh, on like people contact me on LinkedIn, regardless for Cytel. I was in stealth. I, I didn't even I, publish that I have a startup. Ah. But they was looking for someone that can help them as mm. a consultancy. Ah, so you, you wrote about it. Brilliant. I told them, all right, uh, look, I, I'm, I'm building an automation platform, but I'd love to help you with automation and also with advisory. And they love that, you know, they, they, for them, it's a black box. They want someone to, to, to take this heavy, heavy load from them and help them navigate through the process from the start to the finish line and afterwards on an ongoing basis. Right. So this is how, uh, how I started with uh, first customers was after like two months inside. It was a customer from the United States. Um, then a second customer came from a referral. I had a customer which I was an auditor, he, he was uh, uh, the CTO at a company that was audited by EY, we worked together. So he recommended his friend, which opened a startup, hey, there is a, a, a nice guy, uh, I would recommend you to go speak with him. And then I got a referral. And then I got another request, you know, so like word to mouth, friends, friend of friends, people just, that just hear me, uh, somehow, um, people that read my blog, send me an email. So, you know, I, I start collecting, everything was kind of uh, nothing proactive. We didn't add any marketing or any, any sales. Yeah, well, your marketing was your blog, right? Yeah, called. it was, but you know, the SOC 2 COIL, like this, that was my initial web website when I started Cytel. Um, I kind of, uh, kind of forget about it. So once in a while I was logging in to see if I got any emails, uh, if someone looking for help. Some here and there, I did get uh, some emails, so it was nice to see. And uh, you know, I was then I start being very, very focused on uh, on on how I can have more more customers, more people that we we work together. 
And I understand, like I understood back in the days, that people have a pain. For them, it might be, in that case, might be sock too. It's a pain, it's not their forte, they now need to go through the process. They want to kind of outsource or want someone to take this pain out of them. And I was the guy that, they, that was taking the pain out of them. Um, and I told them, look, do you really care um, how it's going to be? I'm taking the, <laughs> I'm taking the pain. Right. Uh, you know, and, and of course, I wanted to drive maximum automation, which this is what we are doing today. But today we are three years after that. After three months, it was kind of difficult. Right. Um, so I was very focused on, on the problem and on the pain on, and on listening, active listening to customers. And, and try to save, uh, 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 to save maximum time uh, on their end so they can focus on what they do and I will be leading this process. The fact that you're putting up content on the actual domain, SOC2.co.il, do you think the name of your domain had a significant effect in your branding? Um, might be, you know, it's very niche. And but that, exactly, but yeah, still, exactly. I'm like, oh well. If anyone knows freaking SOC2, it's clearly the guy who's writing on SOC2.co.il, right? Yeah. I'm just wondering that. That's my question. Um, you know, it's a good question. I, I, I don't really know. I guess it's kind of position me as someone that right. focuses on SOC2. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking, you know, um, today we, it's five, six years after I start like, doing stuff for SOC2, even, maybe even more than six years. But back in the days, there was not much information. Um, it was difficult to find, and um, I was thinking, yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of, uh, it's very niche, very relevant over here in Israel because there are many startups. So why not? Let's try, you know. Uh, and um, yeah, I think it, it worked, and I'm a big believer in content, uh-huh. working with uh, our uh, VP of marketing. Uh-huh. Uh, that leads all of these activities at Cytel, and we try to publish uh, quality content on weekly basis, a uh, couple of times a week, and, uh, and bring value. Uh, you know, not necessarily only for customers that come and use our product. Uh, we also try to help the ecosystem. Uh, we created uh, the first uh, uh, SOC to lead implementer course for free. Totally free, people can, can get their certification. If they want to do this by themselves, you have all the resources at Cytel websites. It's totally free. Really the most comprehensive course that you can find out there. It wasn't exist before. And we don't get, we don't earn any money from the course. We just try to see, to think in a way of like a startup mode. Uh, we, we are a startup. We've been uh, in, the, in the early days, we'd love someone to help us by like access knowledge or give, give us some tools that we can do this, do this stuff in ourselves. And this is why I try to do, to give free stuff, you know, to support stuff, because I think eventually it's kind of a, you know, a karma. Um, what uh, comes around goes around. So we try to enable this and, and just help all startups and build good relationship. And, and we're happy to see our customer grow. Regarding relationships with your uh, investors, so because they obviously v- very well networked in compliance, but not in security compliance. Other than the fact that, like, other than obviously financially, um, not just the first million and more thereafter, how were they, were they able to be some kind of a partner beyond financials since they didn't really have the security background? Yeah. yeah at yeah. all? So, like, how did they, how did they, what doors did they open or, or kind of, what do they do? How were they able to help you given that they're strong compliance, but not security at all? 
Um, I, first of all, they understand business. They understand businesses. Um, they didn't, um, was very in the same approach of the Israel ecosystem in 2021, which means grow at all cost. Right. They told me, look, um, I remember those days. It was fun. Yeah, just grow, <laughs> just grow. And they told me, look, uh, we, we remember the times. It's a funny story when companies wanted to have revenues higher than costs. You know, we remember these times. <laughs> and it was crazy. We know it's crazy. But, uh, you know, this is what we know. So uh, it was crazy to me in the beginning as well, to be honest. But after a while, I was starting the brand rate and starting the payments and the collection and, and, you know, really be on top of the numbers and building a sustainable, profitable company that's going to last and not going to be dependent on, on, on like, uh, funding and, and and investors, um, and this is how I see uh, uh, the future. Might we might be looking for uh, for additional investment, but that will come because we want to, mm-hmm. not because we need to. Mm-hmm. And um, we're building the company in that way. You know, we we I try to build, and this is something that my partner helped me very much. Um, Who's your partner? Sol Sol Goldstein. Okay. Um, and, He's helping me. He has a very big, uh, uh, um, lots of experience in, 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 in the business aspect, in technology. He runs multiple companies globally. And um, understanding the business aspect, is, it was something that um, I learned. I keep learning um, all the time uh, how we can eventually come to a, to a, a, a path, build a path for profitability. So I can work with the investor on that, but when it comes for open doors, um, eventually company is not gonna buy my product because someone told them to, all right? I, I don't believe in that. Uh, I believe someone gonna buy the product because uh, I have a very solid value proposition. They can see the value. Um, maybe it's the best value for money that they can get. Maybe some unique uh, um, pl- platform features, expertise that I can, enable them, maybe a unique package, but that's gonna be the reason why they're gonna work with us and partner with Cytel, supporting their growth with security and privacy compliance automation, and also world-class support and services. So let's bring it like back to the business. So compliance was great is that the government's forcing people to use your product. How do you distinguish yourself? Isn't in a sense it's all really a commodity? Isn't that how you come? How is that how the whole industry comes off to the buyers? Um, Look, this is not a nice to have. I wouldn't define it as a nice to have. It's kind of a must have. You must have certification in order to to support the growth of the business, in order to penetrate the new markets, in order to sign deals or in order to win a, um, a government contract, or maybe because this is just the law. Right. So um, that's the incentive for our customers when they considering go to compliance. Usually we don't, we, we, we are not convincing anyone to go for compliance. We help them. We do help them if they ask to design their compliance portfolio model, because mm-hmm. sometimes they don't know. They tell us, look, I'm operating in, in the EU, in the United Kingdom, in the United States, in Brazil, and in Australia. What are the compliance certification and station on, and what I need to be in compliance with? I'm absolutely clueless. Jeez. 
And then I wonder why the company, that sounds really intimidating. <laughs> yeah, it's really depend on the company's growth. You know, uh, startups in Israel, majority of them say, look, we sell into the US. Right. Uh, we are like 25 employees, so it's kind of- Keep it simple. Yeah, it's simple. And, and many times I ask them, look, you're asking me for like four different stuff. Why, you want, why do you want all four? Maybe you need only one. Right. See how it goes and then do another one. You know, um, resources and money might be a, a better fit for you, but we support them and when they try to decide what's good for them. We, dis we help them we, uh, with their uh, implementation, with their readiness assessment and gap analysis and ongoing audit and ongoing support. Um, and eventually this is something that can save their time. It can save 90% of their time. And our mission is also to reduce costs, reduce 50% of the total cost of compliance. Um, so we are very focused on time saving, reducing costs, simplify, and maximize automation. That's it. And how do your competitors do it differently? How do you do it differently from your competitors? Because I assume to some extent your competitors are trying to do much of the same, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think uh, we have a different value proposition. First of all, we can help a lot to the small to medium sized businesses up to mid market. Um, this is our, uh, uh, where we can bring the maximum value. Um, it's with maximizing automation, building the, uh, the easiest and simplest user interface. You don't need to have 25 years ex of experience in security in order to navigate through, uh, through the compliance journey. Uh, we, we, we use our own experience when it comes for the business logic, how things should really work together. You know, it's all the small things that makes the difference. Um, it's putting uh, um, like our uh, uh, world-class advisory on top of the platform. So we, we offer a hybrid approach that includes both the technology and the automation uh, and maximizing, maximizing automation for cloud-native organizations. And in addition, we also support um, uh, compliance expertise, uh, full consultancy and advisory, um, helping our organization proactively um, supporting and pushing their, their project, their compliance projects every single year. Um, so we help them with our uh, expertise in growth and we offer additional services if, if they need, uh, for example, penetration testing or or sometimes they have some of the requests for security questionnaires. So we can support everything they need when it comes for governance, risks, and compliance in the space of security and privacy. So what's next in compliance then, in security compliance? Are there new things coming up that you know that governments or enterprises or people are discussing or are there things that are going on in the cybersecurity industry that you know people are going to likely have to be compliant? If people want to stay ahead of the curve or the industry in a sense and understanding, um, what do you know or what should people expect in the coming years? Um, look, we see, first of all, in the past, uh, um, traditionally, um, like compliance was lagging behind technology, um, usually. Yeah, it, by it definition, way, yeah. it's always right. Exactly, by definition, the, but, yeah. you see blockchain for So it's so. like, it's cat and mouse, really. Exactly, it's cat and mouse, but now uh, with emerging technologies, for example, I see AI, which is already here, and the utilization of AI uh, for that companies are doing, how they, they working with AI tools, might be OpenAI or, or, or many different tools. It's just gonna grow. Um, so you can also use AI uh, both in, as a compliance automation platform, as an AI compliance platform, which this is what we are building right now. 
but also auditors can use AI for their own advantage. Um, so audits might be more strict, uh, might be more forward, uh, might be the quality of the audits going to increase. They're not just going to take a sample of 10% of the events, but they're actually going to take a sample of all of the events and not in a, a, a single day, but throughout the year. Um, so we're going to see the quality uh, and the level of, of, of IT audits increasing constantly in addition for new technologies that we also going to see regulations over there and compliance over there. For example, all the AI space, for us, it's mind like generative AI, it's kind of a black box. You, you upload the file, you type some query or, or some question, and then you get in the results. What's going behind the scenes? Like you don't know the integrity of the process, um, not necessarily know what's going on with your data. Um, and, and the ethics, I, I'm not even going to talk and dive about the ethics and the processes over there. Uh, many things when it comes for AI, both for regulating AI, but how we can use an AI in order to accelerate a, a, the quality and the effectiveness of, of audits all over the world. Now, also when it comes for technologies, you see blockchain, for example. Um, AI, Internet of Things, uh, now autonomous vehicles, space. So many new technologies that drive innovation, that compliance lag behind. And still, this is a change that's coming. You, we're going to see these trends coming very, very soon. Um, so I just see huge development in space. Um, today, compliance, it's a tool. It's, it's a tool externally to build trust through compliance in order to thrive change, to thrive innovation and to thrive technology. But everyone will want the ability to trust on, uh, on, on, on new technologies. I want to trust OpenAI. Right. I kind of trust OpenAI, you know, uh, but do I really know? No. Yeah. No. No one. So, <laughs> no. so no. What are, you, are you writing, are you, are you personally, and then I'll ask you for it's marketing more general, but are you still writing about this stuff regularly? You yourself, whether on LinkedIn or on your website? I'm trying. Um, not that because like if someone wanted to stay up to date and to know, like, yeah, and from what you're thinking or from the company, well, how, how would how would someone stay updated? Um, look, I publish on Forbes Technology Council here and there uh, on my LinkedIn, on Cytel website, um, and it's it's constantly um, if I have new ideas in mind. For example, I had an article about. Um, compliance when it comes for quantum computing, yeah. um, stuff that I just find curious, kind right. of futuristic, but... Um, well, quantum's here. Everyone's racing for quantum computing, so... Yeah, and it's also massive. We didn't talk about that, mm -hmm. but uh, it's massive. Um, Next compliance is such a small piece in, right. in, in, in quantum uh, uh, computing, but, uh, you know, just find this stuff uh, interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so your best will be visit Cytel AI. That's the website, and we have so much more content over there. It's not only me; right. it's all of our compliance expert team. Um, they keep writing new content and enabling like guides, uh, uh, um, cheat sheets, um, you know, everything that might help startups, but also discuss about trends, do it yourself, and just like interesting content. Can you make compliance sexy? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to uh, stay, so people want to stay up to date. Other than um, your website and your LinkedIn, which we'll put in the description. Anything anywhere else where they can uh, stay up to date on the sexiness of compliance? Uh, no, I think uh, everyone feel free to connect me on LinkedIn. I always love to connect. Um, 
follow a Sitel on LinkedIn or go to the website. Awesome. We'll put it. We'll put everything in the description so people can go ahead and uh, and follow and for Israel Tech too if you guys to follow. Amazing. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much for your hospitality. Thank you. It's very great to much. have you in Israel Tech. Keep it was up a the pleasure. Great work. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much.